We're lifting you up in prayer last week as well. We've been doing this series called uh, Road to Revival. And what we're going to begin to do now as we head into February 15th is we're going to explore a few different encounters that people had uh, on the road with Jesus, some people that encountered Jesus. And I put a few texts together, and today's is a little bit different, but um, I I feel like uh, we haven't really been clear on what we are heading to on February um, 15th and 16th. Uh, What's going to take place is we've kind of have three different services lined up. There's going to be a service Saturday night. Um, at Community Christian Church. It is the same team that we brought a couple of years ago. It's a youth choir that kind of gets everybody fired up. Um, our younger people, our older people alike, all of you that, that were here when we had them um, just just all expressed that you wanted to have them back. So we did. We, we have them back, but we wanted to share the love a little bit with our community and uh, invite some more people out. So they're going to host it. It's going to be on a Saturday night at 6. Uh, the meal will start at 6 o'clock. But the event will start at 645. So that's Saturday. Um, we are in need. I keep forgetting to announce this and I'll have to get this in the bulletins. We are in need of providing desserts for the meal. Um, so next week I'm going to have a spreadsheet. If you're able to provide desserts, um, that would be great. <laughs> and then here on Sunday morning, we will have a service just like our normal time. Uh, Brother John Carver is going to be speaking with us. He's also going to be doing most of our music. Um, The idea we have for this is those of you that serve, we are trying to make it so everybody here can receive, um, also including myself, really. We we have a guest speaker. And uh, but we do have a need that we really still need to fill. Um, We will have our uh, we will we we are going to have the kids up here with us, the children's church age kids. But we do still want to staff a nursery for anyone that would need a nursery during the message, we are going to staff a nursery. So I'm going to be sending an email out this week to those of you that work down there and maybe some of you that don't. We do need your help uh, to fill for the Sunday morning service and then on the Sunday evening service. And during the Sunday evening service, um, that's going to be here at 5 o'clock. The day, uh, so we'll have daylight on your drive, and I think we'll still have daylight on your drive home by the middle of February. I know we'll be cutting it close. So if you can join us for Sunday night at 5 o'clock, um, we know you will be blessed if you if you come and join us for our final night of our revival services. So that is what we are heading to. And as we've been opening up the, the word and uh, considering uh, this season that we are in where we are pushing some other things away and drawing near to the living God. So today we are going to talk out of the text in Luke 7 verses 1 through 10. Uh, a message I've just simply entitled based on this text, Service and Authority. Service and Authority. So just want to share a few thoughts with you before we get to communion this morning. And authority is a funny thing. There's a story I want to tell you about authority. One time in, a, in Texas, at a, D, a DEA officer stopped at a ranch and he talked with an old rancher. He told the rancher, I need you, I need to inspect your ranch for illegally grown drugs. The rancher said, okay, but don't go in that field over there, as he pointed out the location. The DEA officer verbally exploded, saying, mister, I have the authority of the federal government with me. Reaching to his rear pants pocket, the arrogant officer removed his badge and proudly displayed it at the rancher. See this badge? This badge means I'm allowed to go wherever I wish on any land. No questions asked, no answers given. Have I made myself clear? Do you understand? The rancher nodded politely and apologized and went about his chores. 
And a short time later, the old rancher heard loud screams and looked up and saw the DEA officer running for his life, being chased by the rancher's big Santa Gertrudis bull. Is that, did I pronounce that right? Big Santa Gertrudis bull was chasing him. With every step, the bull was gaining ground on the officer, and it seemed likely that he'd sure enough get gored before he reached safety. The officer was clearly terrified. And the rancher threw down his tools, stopped everything he was doing, ran to the fence, and yelled at the top of his lungs, Your badge! Show him your badge! (laughs) Some of us don't know what to do with authority, do we? And we read about authority in Scripture, and this is one of the most brilliant passages that that I had to take a step back and and recognize what was going on in here because it is loaded with spiritual truth. So if you will just open up your hearts this morning as we take a look at Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, and this idea of service and authority. Let's pray. Lord, what a privilege we have to open up the words that have been passed on from generation to generation. The Logos has been given to us in text, and now we can read about your ways and apply these things to our life. We can learn about you in moments just like this and come to understand your character, come to understand your power and recognize what it was that you came here on this earth to do. Now, Lord, as we open up your word, may your spirit speak and may we respond to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. When Jesus had finished saying all of these things to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and, and sent some soldiers, of, some elders of the Jews to ask him, uh, excuse me, and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. And so Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, uh, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been, who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Now, there is a lot going on in this passage that may surprise you. There's some things in the text that there's point of emphasis, like this man deserves for you to come to him, but he doesn't even come himself. He sends another servant. So we're going to unpack this a little bit for just a few moments this morning. But the first thing I want to talk about is many miracles, but little faith. Jesus, the text says that Jesus enters Capernaum, and this this is significant 
because Capernaum kind of had this stigma to it. And based on all of the different miracles in the Bible, okay? So let me tell you all of the different things that took place just in the town of Capernaum. The miraculous catch of fish that maybe you heard with where, where Peter was called. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law was healed. The paralytic, um, the, ish, the woman with the issue of blood. Jairus' daughter was resurrected. I told that story last week. Um, two blind men were healed. The demoniac were healed. The man with a withered hand. And that, that, that awesome story about Jesus finding a, a, people would ask him who to give, uh, do, do you give to Caesar? And Jesus goes and finds a coin in the mouth of a fish. So all of these miracles and were happening in Capernaum. But here's the judgment that Matthew chapter 5, if you put that text up there, Nick. Here's what Matthew chapter 5 says about Capernaum, excuse me, Matthew chapter 11 says about Capernaum. And you, Capernaum, will be lifted to the heavens. Will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. So what is happening in this town of Capernaum is, I I haven't compared and contrast, but you could either say the most miracles that Jesus did happened in Capernaum. I, I like to compare that to Jerusalem. I don't know if that's true, but this was a city that many miracles were performed, but this it's the gospel is not really catching on in Capernaum. Many people are still walking, following Jesus around, looking for a sign. And yet he is doing all of these things in Capernaum. So what is happening here? And you got to take a step back and recognize this in a moment, because this, this, this text and what's taking place here has theological implications for the whole story. Capernaum was a town comparable to the size of West Alexandria. Now you also have um, you also have other small towns that were around there, and, and true, there weren't quite as many people on the earth at that time. But you would imagine if just that list of miracles that had started happening in this little town, all of those things took place in this little town. People would start hearing about it. People would start asking questions. People would be curious and. Who knows this word that I keep using? Maybe we could even call that a revival. But most people in Capernaum were not responding. And you see how small this town was. That you would think that word would have got around and someone would be curious and someone would, would want to see the legitimacy of these stories. But the truth is Capernaum is like a lot of small towns in America. Each individual person needed to have their own encounter because what happened to someone else wasn't enough for them. And they weren't ready to receive from someone who was calling themselves the Messiah. See, we can get stuck in religious mode and miss the presence of God right in front of us. We can get stuck in skeptic mode and have a hard heart that is not ready to receive. We can come to church every Sunday morning and get absolutely nothing 
out of anything and walk out of the door the same because we have not come ready to receive. No matter what testimony you've heard from the person next to you, no matter what word is being preached, if we are not ready to receive, we will not receive. And there could be miracles happening right in front of us, and we could still be that stubborn man or stubborn woman that continues to say, I'm just waiting for somebody to show me something that's real. Come on. I don't know where that came from. It's like this old Southern Baptist religious thing. <laughs> like, come on, show me something, Pastor. So this is the culture that Jesus has walked into. And who this is this says that um, this this comes after the Sermon on the Mount, and the text says that he enters Capernaum. And who is the first person that he has this encounter with, according to Luke's gospel, is this centurion. Non-Jewish has no reason to be expecting a Messiah to come. And this man is ready to receive. He shows greater faith. He says that he has not even seen this kind of faith in all of Israel because here is a man who is ready to receive. Now, we're going we're gonna to catch, what, is that, what does that even mean, Pastor Brody? How do you know he was ready to receive? We find that in the next text, or the next point here. Service and authority. Service and authority. If you have, you've been in church for a while and you've even just gone going through the Christmas story, you know that there are a lot of wicked rulers in the Bible. There are a lot of wicked people in authority. This man in this text was not one of them. It quickly says, here is a guy who is a Gentile and what, what are the, if you take a look, those of you who got your Bible, what are the things that this text says about him? What are the positive things that it says about him? What'd you say? He built the synagogue for them. He didn't have any reason to do that. He's the Roman centurion, basically the government authority in charge of this little town. So you could say he's like the mayor, but he's appointed from Rome himself. And he builds them their own synagogue. What else do we notice about this guy? There's another couple other positive things that it says in here. He, yes, it says, it says he loves our nation. And even the context of what he is doing right now, he's caring for one of the people under him. He has chosen to where there's so many other wicked rulers in all of Rome. And we hear, all, we hear these stories in the, in the New Testament as well. Here is a man who used his authority to serve. He used his authority to serve the people that he had been given dominion over. Now, this is significant, first of all, because I got to believe that this man knew how to serve before he was ever given a position of authority. I say that again. This man knew how to serve before he was ever given a position of authority. He, this is a man who understands I have a responsibility not unto myself and my own fame and my own glory. I have a responsibility to the people that I have been appointed to care for. Now, I don't know that there was any praxis of anything that, that the Roman law told that that's what he was responsible for. But somehow this centurion captured that. I have people here that I have to care for. There are people there. I, I am here to serve these people, to protect them, and to care for them. And when 
you have given your life over to that, and you understand that that is what you are here for, when someone comes that is calling themselves the Messiah, that supposedly is the Messiah of all of Israel, of all of Judah, he quickly understands a God that has been given authority to act. And that's the other thing I forgot to mention. Here's a man who acted. He didn't just say he loved. No, he built a synagogue for him. No, he took care of the people that were under him. So when Jesus comes into town and he says he's the Jewish Messiah, he's the Jewish authority, he quickly understands the reality. Well, if this is the Messiah, then he's going to care for his people. If this is the Messiah, he's going to have authority. He doesn't have to come to me. If this is the Messiah, he's going to want what I want and for this man to get well. And he just simply says, you're the man with authority. You say the word. You don't even need to come to my house. See, this is the revelation that's real easy to miss. This man understood the goodness of God. And in this world today, there are two tensions. You see this, just open your eyes, you see it, turn on the news. There's two tensions in this world. There's people, there's what's called power under authority and power over authority. People every day are trying to get themselves in a position of authority that they have no stinking idea what they're going to do when they get that authority. They just know that they need to get that role. They need to have that power so that they can get control. But in Scripture, what we see Jesus do and what we see the centurion do do, was learn how to serve. Learn how to give with the resources that you have been given. And so that when he is placed in authority, that's what he continues to do with his power. He serves. And what does the text say that Cheryl read, if you put that up there? Here's what it says in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The final thing I want to say about this passage in Luke 7, 1 through 10, is that the centurion went to Christ instead of expecting Christ to come to him. I want you to just let that one sink in for a second. See, the truth is that we serve a relational God. I feel like you hear me talk about that every Sunday. More than your religion, the Lord wants a relationship with you. More than your acts that you keep doing, even though you don't feel them, you don't want to do them, you just know you're supposed to, the Lord could just say, you know, I could probably do without that for a little while if I could just have you. The Lord wants your heart. He is a relational God that longs for an intimate relationship with you. And because that is true, what I have on this slide, it truly does work both ways. In a relationship, yes, you will have moments in your life where you have unexpected encounters with God and unexpected series of events that happen. And yes, it's as if God, Christ himself, is coming to you and reminding you of who you are. But see, there's an example that we need to learn from in this text that the centurion, in great humility, in great humility, does not expect Christ to come to him, but he goes to Christ. Now, you may say, well, it was kind of petty that he sent another servant. No, he sent another servant so he could be with the one who was sick. He sent another servant because he didn't want to have to be the man of authority showing up in front of Jesus and saying, you need to do this for me, because actually this man would have been in charge of Jesus in this town. 
He simply was humble enough to submit to his authority and say, hey, you, I believe you. I believe you can do this and you can heal. Just say the word. Now, how this is relevant for us is because many of us in our walk of faith, we come to church on Sunday and we do whatever, whatever typical thing it is that we do and things start getting bad for us. And we start asking, why, God, why is this happening? I don't know what the Lord's doing in my life anymore. I don't know if I'm doing right. I don't know if I'm doing wrong. And that is what I'm trying to tell you, church, is that is the come to me attitude. Show up in my life somehow in some way and show me what you want. But in the text here and and what we talked about last week and what this road to revival is, is a few people that pushed away the religion of their day the customs of their day, this dry town of Capernaum where everybody's getting healed and all kinds of crazy things are happening, still few people are believing. Say, I'm going to draw near to the living God. I'm going to learn how to push away the things of this world and draw near to Jesus. I have no idea how many times I have said that line this last month. So if you're hearing one thing that I want for you, it's that that you learn how to push away some things of this world and draw near to God so that you can have a new experience. There will never be revival in our church unless you are ready to receive it, unless you are ready to push some other things away and say yes to the Lord. See, in just a few moments at this time, I'll actually go ahead and ask our, our deacons to come forward. You made a huge step today to come to church. You did something that I believe statistically uh, less, less than 15% of Americans did today, somewhere close to 10%, I believe, may be the number now. You made a huge step to do that this morning. In just a few moments, you're going to take, most of you will feel comfortable to take a step forward to partake of our communion. And when Jesus had us take of communion, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Keep coming back to the table, remembering who you are. You will need to return to the table. You will need to push the things of this world away and spend some time in the presence of God and get to to know him for who he is. And so two things, you've, you've come this morning, you're going to partake of this ritual. But what I'm challenging you with this month and as we go through this series, this road to revival, is that you consider what your comfort zone is as a Christ follower and that you make a decision to do something to get the heck out of it. Can I say that more clear? Take a step forward. Don't expect God to keep coming to you and showing up and, 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 and having some nugget revelation that you probably don't even know what you're going to do with anyway. But it makes a good testimony. Chase after him. As the centurion did in this text, a man that understands authority, if you are God, then just say the word. So as we prepare for communion, and Nick, you can begin to play that track. And at this time, I just want to encourage everyone to bow your Bow your heads and close your eyes.
want you to just meditate for a few moments and consider that. What is your comfort zone? You know, I, don't, I hope you don't get offended by the word religious because I confess that I'm religious. We all have patterns that we slip into. We've all drawn boxes around our lives and said, this is all that I'm going to do for God. If I've done that, then I know you have too. And what we're considering this month that'll, that'll, that'll spark a revival in our church that will bring new life through the Holy Spirit is if, ever, is if those in this room are willing to get out of their comfort zone and let God do a new thing in them. So now, I can't put that on a PowerPoint for you. You have to search your heart and say, what is this point of conviction for me? What is the point of service for me? You know, even all across this church, we're longing for creativity. We have many people that are willing to serve in different capacities, but we're longing for, for a few that say, hey, it's time that we begin this ministry. It's time that this new thing happens. It's time that I step up and lead Maybe that's you getting out of your comfort zone. So all across this room, I pray the Lord begins to speak to you about what that is. And in your own way, you have a time to say yes. Yes to the living God. Yes. I'm coming after you, Lord. So you've come to church this morning. You're going to come forward and partake of communion. But I'm asking, almost begging for the third thing. As you come forward this morning, may it also be a sign that you want to take a step forward. You don't want to remain stagnant. You want to draw near to God. Push some things aside and draw near to him and find him. So as you're ready, we're going to invite you to come forward for communion. I don't see too many guests, so everybody knows the drill here, but I will say that if you would be in need of prayer, that could be a step forward for you. Maybe you've never stepped out and just say, hey, will you pray for me? I want to be right over here to the left. I would love to, to pray with you and agree with you uh, for something that the Lord is doing in your life. So come, you're, at this time, you're invited to come forward to partake of communion. And again, if you would be in need of prayer, yeah, step aside here to your right, and I'd be happy to pray for you.
Y'all join me as we close with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for the spirit that is here this morning. I thank you for those that, that come to, to, to come out and on the, some lightly slick roads and say yes to being in the house of the Lord with brothers and sisters. And now, in these moments, as we come to the conclusion of a service and come to a conclusion of our time where we come back to the table and be reminded of who we are, or may we recognize that we are here on this earth to serve. We are here to give. And as we give our lives over to a cause that is bigger than ourself, you put us in places to make an influence. You put us in places to speak life to others, to bring healing, to bring freedom. As I prayed with many this morning, I believe you're doing that because their heart is right and saying, Lord, I want to be used for you and to take what you have given me. So may we live in humility for the God that we serve, the authority that you have. And as we serve, may we receive the dominion that we have been given by the living God. May we draw near to you in this season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.